0: Greetings, humans. You have entered the command zone. Your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your stay.
1: Here comes a part of the episode where I can't think of a song. (laughs) We used to have no problem with
0: this. Now you just make up. Hooked on a feeling. Hooked on a feeling. Where'd that come from?
1: Uh I was thinking about Gardens of the Galaxy earlier today. Nice. Yeah. Who got chaga?
0: Who chaga? Who chaga?
1: Who What a ridiculous intro <laughs> to a song. But it works. Yeah. Someone went into a studio. There was someone across in the soundproof glass looking at them and they go, and they <laughs> hear that
0: Tick, toc, toc, toc.
1: and the guy just went, Who got chaka? It's like, well, that's ridiculous. <laughs> Who does that? Anyway, (laughs) welcome to the Command Zone, everybody. My name is Jimmy Wong. How's it? It's Josh Lee Kwai. Uh, We have a fun one today. We're back to top 10s. We're talking about top 10 lands in Elder Dragon Highlander, also known as Commander, the format we all play.
0: Top 10 lists. We're back.
1: Yay. It's always a good time to do top 10 lists. It also is always fun because we've had a few, I think at the beginning of our top 10 lists, we didn't have a bunch that matched up in the top five, and then as we got... (laughs) Further into the show, more of our top five just overlapped.
0: Yeah, this one actually there's quite there's more difference than I thought there would be. So yeah, that's good. It also ties into last week because we were talking about Gitrog and lands oh, being yeah. important. So this that's is sort of like maybe that's why we decided to do this. I have no idea, honestly. <laughs> Me neither. Sometimes we're just like we should do that, and we're like yeah, and and you don't realize it subconsciously. It's because the last show was about lands, oh, yeah, kind of. so... Point.
1: I I, I'll take this moment to mention as well. People always ask about our Deck dodger's episode, and they keep sending us submissions. By the way, keep doing that. That's great. We love getting them. But it takes a lot of work. And for Josh right now, you're super swamped. I'm pretty busy in these next couple of weeks as well. And it's just tough because it's like you have to dedicate like four or five hours to coming up with the topic and really fleshing it out. And then just keep refining it for a few more after that.
0: Yeah, and Deck Doctors takes even longer. Th- again, we do want to get back to it. Keep sending in the submissions. We are going to. It's just we have to find that window. Yeah, it's super busy time for me. Uh, summer movie season is upon us. Yeah, so it's going to be a good one, by the way. It's going to be a huge one. There's a lot of stuff. that There's pretty much a lot of superheroes fighting each other. Nice. Because if you go Batman, Superman, Civil War, mm-hmm. X-Men, and... Um, What's the other one? There's a fourth one.
1: Doctor Strange.
0: No. No, he's
1: not fighting really
0: anyone. Uh, dang it, I lost it. There's a the fourth jungle one. Jungle Book and <laughs> Alice through the Looking Glass. No. <laughs> Whatever. There's a fourth one where superheroes are fighting each other. So nice. Is it Jace for Chandra?
1: <laughs> They're like our magic superheroes, right? Yeah, it's a dual deck. <laughs> yeah, it's a dual deck straight up. <laughs> yeah, dual deck will be coming out this summer, probably at some time. I hope so. Um, yeah, that's great. It is a busy time. I love the summer though because this is the show started during the summer originally. Actually, yeah, conspiracy. Yep.
0: Yeah. So, no, it's a great time for movies. It's really cool, but it just the work gets swamped. So, yes, but um, we will
1: get back to it. Don't worry, folks.
0: We'll get there. So the Zendikar art book that everyone, man, a lot of people wanted to get a hold of this book. So. This book is
1: sweet. I have a copy. I was given an extra one, so I was like, I have to give this away. What am I going to do with this? Keep it
0: sealed. So it's not, generous. It's not magic product. So, yeah, it's, it's true. a book.
1: <laughs> so, so we're going
0: to announce that at the end of the show. If you did enter, you can either fast forward right now. Do people fast forward anymore? You can click to the end of the show and yeah. then listen to see if you won, or you can just wait. If you're in your
1: car, you shouldn't be clicking because that's illegal. You should have played the podcast, and, like, at this point, you are pulling out of, like, your neighborhood and onto the freeway. (laughs) Very specific. (laughs) I don't know. I guess it depends on – some people might be driving on country roads for a while. Who knows?
0: (laughs) Oh, something I wanted to clarify from last episode, because – I guess we sort of get into this bubble where we're used to doing the show and we're used, yeah, yeah. you know, we're aware of what all the episodes were and everything we've talked about in the past, but we've picked up a lot of new listeners. And so a lot of people were asking, they were like, five color Gitrog. <laughs> Are you just running an illegal deck or what? So something we haven't actually touched on in the show in a while, but we talked about early on was something that I like to do and that's build a commander deck that's based around a commander, but that commander is actually not your general. It actually goes into the deck. So we'll refer to my five color Nekusar deck. Mm-hmm. So it's a deck about making everybody draw cards and therefore take damage from having a lot of cards uh, either in their hand or drawn. But there's a lot of redundancy for that effect in the history of magic. And so what I did is I built a deck that's five color and it actually runs uh, Chromat as the general. But everybody in our playgroup knows it's a Nekusar deck. Yeah. Even though Nekusar himself doesn't even always come out every game. Sometimes underworld dreams, which is another thing that punishes you for drawing cards or or other cards like that, are really the the thing that kills everybody or KOs them. But that's so when we refer to a five color Marchesa deck, that's the same thing. That's just child of Alar is actually the commander, but it's a, it's still a Marchesa deck.
1: Yeah, we talked about Ultra the Ego on the other show, which is a green and blue uh, clone spell that gives plus one plus one counters, and we're like, oh, it'd be great in your Marchesa deck. And it was like,
0: uh, green's not Marchesa, it's right? Like, but my Marchesa deck is five color, yeah, specifically so that it can have green because that's the plus one plus one counter color. So yeah. that when I was saying make a five color Gitrog deck, it was actually the idea of running. I don't know, Sliver Queen or something as the commander. You rarely cast the commander in these decks. Yeah, or maybe Child of Lara. Child can.
1: of Lara seems like one of the best ones, just because yeah. it's it's good like... to it
0: just have a board wipe. Mm-hmm. And yeah.
1: you're probably gonna have some sack outlets in there as well.
0: Yeah, you so... should
1: if you have Child as your um, your main guy. Um, yeah, actually, five color is always an option. <laughs> in our play group, it, it should be. I think it's we have the mana base for it. Concept here came out. You should have fetch
0: lands if you played that set. You know, and that has all the tri lands. Like you can run, you can easily run all ten tri lands. Yeah, the fetch lands. You the can do shock a five color deck, the pain lands, and you're good. Yeah, you
1: Oop. don't even need the fetch
0: lands. It's mm-hmm. true. You can go ten tri lands, ten life lands, ten guild gates. You're pretty much good. Mm-hmm. So that is. When we say five color, that's what we're talking about. So that was the idea with that Gitrog deck was to take Titania, Omnath, Gitrog, jam them all into the 99 and actually run Child of Alara or another Wooburg commander nice. and, and, and make the deck work that way, so...
1: Good times all around, I'd say.
0: Good to clarify. Yeah.
1: Also, Josh, uh, you you had a fun little Saturday last Saturday. I wasn't there for it, but you texted me pictures of a whiteboard, and I immediately, the second I got that image, I was like,
0: oh, I am now officially jealous I couldn't be there. <laughs> so it's sort of a, become a playgroup tradition, and, and you've been there for, for other ones, but mm-hmm. not this one. Um, where when a new set comes out, our play group gets together. We go to a local gaming store, we pick up a whole lot of products. And then the entire day that Saturday, when the sets first come out, we draft all day long. And usually we, we draft and only play a match or two and then draft again and play a match or two. And then, and we up the ante this time, we actually had a big whiteboard. And each person kept track of what decks they drafted, how the deck did, and what their impressions were. Like, were there cards that overperformed? Were there cards that underperformed? And so we had this great back and forth between the entire playgroup where everyone was like, I drafted green-black. It felt like this. This card actually did better than I thought. This card I thought was good, but it actually sucked. Here was my record. And then you know, we drafted four or five times, so each person had a column on the whiteboard. And it sort of said the five drafts that they've or five decks that they drafted, what the record was, all that stuff. It was super fun.
1: Um, Yeah, I loved seeing everyone's individual like notes because it really reflected the individual. Like because we play commander with these guys too, so it's always awesome to see how they describe cards, how they think about you know what their tendencies are and stuff. Um, It was like you guys had a mini Pro Tour testing group minus the actual seriousness of a Pro Tour testing group. Yeah, that's true. Like (laughs) it was
0: still like pretty loose. And and the other great thing is, you know, we were drafting two. Figure out the format as much as you can in one day. And so mm-hmm. after you would draft, you'd lay it out and everybody would look around and go, like, oh, you were drafting this, you were drafting that. And you sort of got a good look at, you know, how many people could draft a single color or were or how deep the colors were or that kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. Totally. Um, so we don't talk about draft a lot on the show, obviously, because it's a commander show, but I did want to uh, touch on it a little bit because it is fun and it's a new format and a lot of our listeners do draft if you don't you can skip this part we're going to talk about top 10 lands in edh you can skip ahead um we're just going to touch on it really quick because it is in the world of magic and it is cool and we don't get to talk about it a lot maybe we'll do a sideboard episode where we go more in depth i like the sideboard episodes because it's i play a lot limited so yeah so and you've drafted the set a lot jimmy so yeah what have your impressions been of it so far
1: it's very fun for me so far, like every time I've drafted it, and usually you get the first time you open the packs for the first time you draft, it, you're like, wow, this is cool, like all these new interactions. But it's not the same when you're doing like a core set or even the small set of a big one or whatever, mm-hmm. you combine them together. Battle for Zandegar had a certain zest to it, but Shadows of Innisfrag, I can understand now why everyone loved Innisfrag so much the first time because you're drafting things that you are really familiar with yeah flavor wise it's really cool. vampire yeah like all these things we've seen stories of them and like we've grown up with movies and stuff and comics and all that stuff like you don't grow up with comics of Eldrazi <laughs> <laughs> so true. they're cool but they're not as fun and flavorful as the uh, the transform cards are it, it, so it's been a lot of fun so far um whether or not it's a balanced and even draft format I'm not entirely sure yet but so far I've had a lot of fun
0: Yeah, it feels pretty good. I would say, like, Battle for Zendikar, we all found out pretty early that green was really bad. And that sort of hurt that format, I think, that you couldn't really draft green. So there was really only four colors to draft. Um, Green's now very good in this draft format. I think green's probably the best color. It's almost certainly the best color in Shadows Over Innistrad. It's the deepest... It's the uh, deepest it's you always want to dip a toe in green is what it feels like it felt like almost every draft once we flipped over every flipped over the card started laying out their deck there was more green drafted than any other color Interesting. just because it was it was the deepest um I think the green red uh, werewolf's archetype is the best I it's think very sweet yeah I don't know if the best version of that is better than the best version of certain other decks, but I mm-hmm. think consistency wise and sort of the ease of drafting it it's a very easy deck to draft. That I think is the sort of strongest. And as we looked at our board after the day was done, it did have the best win percentage. Mm-hmm. So that's not, that doesn't say everything, but I think that's an indicator. I do like green red, two of my favorite colors right there. One of the great things about drafting green red is a lot of your cards are, are the dual face cards. And so you can basically tell the entire table, hey, I'm drafting green red because right. when you draft the dual face cards, you actually have to announce it. And so, and the reason behind announcing the dual face cards when you draft them is because. That negates the advantage someone sitting close to you would have because they would be able to look and see that you drafted that card, but somebody yep. on the other side of the table wouldn't even be able to see. So that's why they're requiring a live draft for you to announce it. But imagine in a regular draft if you could just say, hey, guys, I'm drafting green and red. If you yeah. could just tell the people next to you. Because most a lot of drafting is actually trying to cooperate with the people next to you without being allowed to actually cooperate. It's mm-hmm. You don't want to be in red if they're in red. And you don't want to be in green if they're in green. It's and a so, in teamwork. Yeah. But but so, and the person next to you doesn't want to be in the colors that you're in. So a lot of times if they could, they'd be like, you're in those colors. Okay, good. Then I know I should be in these colors. Mm-hmm. And this sort of allows you to do it because of the dual face cards.
1: Yeah, it's made drafting a lot smoother, i found everyone At the end of the table, I always like to look around and see what everyone's in. If the table's not serious and they don't care, like, oh, I'm in these colors, just to see how the colors balanced out, who got what, who decided to stick with their bomb, and and how that affected the rest of the draft. Because these are all sort of like precautionary things you need to look out for in order to make sure that you get the best deck out of the cards that are given to you.
0: Yeah. Pretty crazy um, stuff. Yeah, I love it. Super though. fun. If you haven't tried Shadows of Winter Star Draft, I would say check it out. I'm not saying it's going to be the best draft format of all time. It's, it's hard to tell. I think I can already tell it's not as good as Cons because Cons was awesome, but it could be. It's probably better than Battle for Zendikar, which was kind of stinky. I think Oath was a little bit better yeah. than BfZ just because it brought five colors like you could actually draft all of the color not five <laughs> a color personal necessarily, joy but for Josh each Lee color Play. sorry i meant yeah. green was alive there you Actu- go yeah actually oath did have a five color deck that was actually decent too so um yeah all right enough about draft i know i'm annoying some people
1: uh you know we're, we're talking about it because we're passionate about it. so if you guys actually want to see uh, a sideboard episode let us know because it's just more content for you guys obviously but it's also fun for us to talk about and you know we've talked about commander for 104
0: episodes now and we talked about draft for 1 yeah. no we talked about conspiracy for a couple so right, maybe right, three right. or four total
1: yeah actually that's a good sign we started off our show and then immediately we're like let's talk about conspiracy <laughs> it's close to commander it's basically they did use the command zone yeah. in all fairness so yeah. <laughs> all right then let's move on and talk about our top 10 lands in commander uh, now, we've done this a bunch, obviously. Uh, the first restriction that we always put on these is that we're not going to name any lands that are over $25.
0: Tabernacle at Pendril vale is my number one, though.
1: Yeah. Gaia's Cradle. Gaia's Cradle. Sarah's Sanctum. Easily my number one is Guy's Cradle. That land is beyond absurd. But, yeah, all these lands are obviously powerful. They also cost 50 100 600, 600. <laughs> So yes, they're going to be number one, or they're going to be high up there, but they're also just not accessible for players. Um, and
0: for all you smart Alex out there, we're not talking about the expedition versions. We're talking about the non. So that's how we get under twenty five dollars. Yeah, exactly. I, I know what you're about to do. Just you don't have to type that now. <laughs> you can type it in your head. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's the first thing. We sort of we sort of steered away from like fetch lands, dual lands mana creating just you know those type of lands we've talked about those plenty that's not what we're talking about here we're talking about sort of non-mana producing lands or at least in the traditional sense yeah they may produce mana but overall
1: they're more just utility yeah um or sometimes game breaking depending on the lands uh so we're not going to talk about command tower because yes that is a great land you just put it in every deck fetch lands duh shock lands duels yeah Uh, all that good stuff so We're going to talk about our top 10 favorite lands. And it was an interesting one. There are a lot of things to think about when doing this.
0: Yeah. So really quickly, we'll go over sort of how we come to how we rank them personally. So we use a few criteria. One is how useful is the land in a multitude of decks or color combinations. So it'll get knocked a little bit if it's only useful with one color. Mm -hmm. Um, But that doesn't mean it can't still be in the top 10 or can't be high in there. Yeah. If the power level's there. Yep. Levels there, uh, the quadrant theory, which is something we've borrowed from limited resources, the idea of how does this land play in the early stages of the game, mm-hmm. how does it play when you're at parity, how does it play when you're behind, and how does it play when you're winning? Um, and then does the land either combat a strategy which is prevalent in EDH or enable a mm-hmm. strategy which is prevalent in EDH? So we've talked, we've had a few episodes like the Voltron or the token. Archetype series, but there's a whole bunch of archetypes, you know, control, aggro, blah blah blah. Does this land fit into or stop one of those things that a pillar of the format that you're likely to see very often?
1: Right. Or if we could include guys Cradle, obviously it'd be support the token exactly. Or just any deck that puts
0: creatures or any deck that has green, (laughs) yeah, pretty
1: much. All All right. right, You want to go
0: first with your your number ten? Yes, I would love to go
1: first. My number ten land is Temple of the False God. Now, this is a card that has been in a lot of the Commander products. In fact, I think it's been in every single one of the Commander products. Um, It says, uh, tap to add two colorless mana to your mana pool. Activate this ability only if you control five or more lands. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the ability to add more than one colorless mana on a card. Um, And Temple of the False Gods, I think, has the best, I I guess, quote-unquote, penalty on it. Because um, some of their land, there are some lands like City of Traders, requires you to sacrifice land. Some lands don't even allow you to tap other, like at, play new lands, and then when you do, you just have to sacrifice that land. Um, yeah, City of Traders is exactly that, actually. Um, there was
0: a land in Battle for Zendikar, I think, that once you have seven lands Shrine of the Forsaken Gods. Yes.
1: Yeah, where it adds two to your mana pool, but you
0: only can cast colorless spells with it and only if you have seven or more lands. Yeah, so there's two penalties on that one, and it's worse than Temple of the False Gods. It's actually a direct. Uh, it's a direct what's the word homage to Temple of Forsaken Gods right Shrine of the Forsaken Forsaken Gods Gods, Temple of the False Gods yeah exactly and for the Forsaken
1: Gods I love the flavor on it it's actually the three titans Um, but yeah Temple of the False God I like it it's uh, now if you have this in your opening hand it's not good right unless Unless you you have have four other lands or three
0: even three lands Uh, um, I think the thing people don't remember is uh, Temple of the False God it can be the fifth land yeah you don't Absolutely. have to have five other lands. You just have to have four and it.
1: Yeah. And what that means is if you have no mana rocks in turn five, you go from five mana to six mana. And there are a lot of really powerful cards in EDH at six. Uh, so just, I, It just ramps you for nothing. I mean, it didn't yeah. cost you anything to do that. Didn't cost anything to do it. I think if you're in a deck that would like to play lands in general, uh, you should play a Temple of the False Gods. It's one of those sort of goes in every deck. Has a slight downside. You don't want to see it early in the game, so it's not super high on the list, but it's up there for me.
0: Yeah, I, I would say that in general, the only decks that wouldn't want to run it are like Wuburg decks mm-hmm. because they have so many colors. But I even run them in those because those decks have things like Chromatic Lantern, yeah, and Urborg, and that turns the Temple of False Gods into a normal land for those times when it's your fifth la- when it's not your fifth land. Yeah, so, yeah. Um. Okay, my number ten is the most Josh land. It is Minamo School at Water's Edge. It's a legendary land. So Minamo is a legendary land. It comes into play untapped. You can tap it for blue mana, or you can pay a blue and tap it and untap target legendary permanent. Do you run any legendaries in your <laughs> you run, deck? Yeah, you might. You might. Maybe <laughs> it's so good because any legendary that taps and does something, mm-hmm. that's a very powerful thing that it's doing. It's a legendary creature it's tapping and doing something by the way it says legendary permanent so if you wanted to oh, tap, if you had another legendary land goggles. or something like that yeah um is pyromancer's goggles a legendary artifact it i is. think it is belong to a pyromancer uh, by the way pick those up now because there's a deck in standard that's got pyromancer's goggles and it's yeah. actually don't pick those up now wait now until it rotates because it just shot up in price anyway um love minamo because as we know i love tap effects yeah so being able to do it twice for just you know two extra mana because you have to tap Minamo and something else um, is oftentimes crazy powerful. Think of like Galena. Oh, Steel 2 Legendary. Oh, goodness. Rune? Yeah. Rune. Oh, Flicker 2 things. I mean, that is really, really powerful. So, yep, that's my number 10. Good stuff,
1: Minamo. Uh, this is a card that I first saw. It was like my first commander deck ever. I only got one, and, uh, and later on I was looking at it and went... It should be in every blue deck. It really almost There's, there's no reason not to. <laughs> it it comes in untapped. It's essentially an island. Uh,
0: yeah. And worst case scenario, you just attack and then untap your thing. Yeah. Even if it doesn't have a tap effect, it's still decent. It still doesn't. vigilant. yeah. Yep. It's interesting because uh,
1: looking at this card, you would wonder, you know, there's hidden text on cards, I think, that make them good. For instance, a card that's, that doesn't say comes into the battlefield tapped yes. could also say it comes into the battlefield untapped and that you should look at that and be like, That's actually an upside. Uh, My number nine is the one, the only Reliquary Tower. Uh, It's a very simple land. It just says you have no maximum hand size, and you can tap it to add a colorless mana
0: to your mana pool. This is another, like, every deck just about wants this card. If you've built your deck correctly, then it wants Reliquary Tower. Yeah. The only ones, the decks that don't want it, which never get above seven cards, you did something wrong there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Even Boros decks, if you built them correctly, should <laughs> well, probably get to the Reliquary Tower stage.
0: The cost of having it is just so low; it's mm-hmm. just a land. It yeah. gives you no maximum hand size, like it's great. Again, if
1: you're running like five color, it's slightly more powerful, uh, less powerful. But at the end of the day, like there's nothing more satisfying than having a lot of
0: cards in your hand and not having to discard any of them. I actually have decks where I run like you know, expedition map and stuff just so that I can find just Reliquary Tower because it's so yeah. important to certain decks. Uh, yeah, I have a little higher on the list, but it is very, very good. good My time. number nine is, I believe this is on the uh, reserve list. It's Yavamaya Hollow. This card's great. Yeah, it's a legendary land, so you can untap it with Minamo. Oh. It comes into play untapped. You can tap it to add one diamond mana to your mana pool. Or you can pay a green and tap it to regenerate target creature, any creature. It just saves your creature. I mean, it doesn't save them from path to exile or whatever, but it saves it from destroy effects. Yeah, and damage effects. A Voltron
1: commander swinging
0: in, you can chump block it. Eh, yeah, you
1: can keep chump blocking it. Yep. Uh, Somebody
0: does like a well, not Wrath of God because it says cannot be regenerated, right. but Supreme Verdict, mm-hmm. you can regenerate it. It's it's super powerful, and people forget that it's there and in so many instances i've been able to be like okay i saved this guy and they're like what oh no because you yeah. have that one key, key creature you know back in the profit of crewfix days having this and profit was like made it you know twice as hard to get rid of that so when you have consecrated sphinx or you know even like dead eye navigator and stuff like that it just makes it that much easier to protect that one creature
1: yeah i agree i mean the card is absurd i love that card uh it's so cheap is the other thing. It doesn't, like, a lot, the newer cards are, the more they cost to do their abilities. Yes. Like, Mantlands and folk Lands, they didn't make them like they used to. <laughs> <laughs> In <laughs> my day. So you have my hollow is an excellent card. And for just a green regenerate sword creature. And you can do it on someone else's, too. You can, like, really blow someone out if they don't realize, like, oh, cool, I can, like, get rid of this thing finally. And like, nah, how about I save that because it's actually helping me out. Yeah, that's true. Uh, my number eight is much higher on your list. This is the second crossover we had. Uh, it is high market.
0: It's higher on my list. Yeah, it's way up on my list. I have it at number three.
1: Yeah. it. I mean, now that I look at your list and look at mine, I probably would actually put this higher up because the number of decks I put this into going,
0: I can't believe this isn't in there. I don't think I have a single high. deck that doesn't have high market in it. And maybe this is a holdover from the tuck days, but yeah. having a sacrifice effect is so, so often you so often something happens and you're like i need to be able to sack that creature for yeah. no effect just to put it back in the command zone or just so that it doesn't go into exile or just or get
1: stolen is a yeah. big
0: one yeah for me
1: uh high market is pretty simple though comes in untapped add colorless to your mana pool or you can tap it to sacrifice a creature you gain one life who cares about the life instant speed sack outlet as soon as you play it doesn't need haste so high market though, is obviously on my list it's much higher on yours I, I i think i'd actually move it higher if i got a little time to edit this list and get back to it
0: you know it just depends on what you're how you're weighting it like i was clearly weighting mine towards like how many of my decks either have or would want this card Mm -hmm. like some of the ones higher on the list i don't have unlimited numbers so i have to choose which decks get it but would i put this card in every deck and high market i literally think i do have in every commander deck maybe i've got one that doesn't it's pretty good pretty pretty good actually kind of ties into your number eight yeah it's true they have similar effects um Or you have them in for similar reasons. So Mm -hmm. my number eight is Homeward Path. It's a land It comes into play untapped. Tap to add colorless or diamond to your mana pool. And then you can tap, and each player gains control of all creatures he or she owns. Hmm. So you just get back all your creatures that were stolen. And everybody gets back their creatures that were stolen.
1: Yeah, this literally negates insurrection
0: immediately yep boom you just get it uh control magic effects Silumgar is an entire deck there's Mm -hmm. there's a lot of decks in fact because of the deck doctor series we get to see like a whole ton of people submitting decks to us and decks that clone and steal everybody's stuff are extremely prevalent a lot of people build that type of deck and having a card that basically stops their main thing that they're, they're trying to do is yeah. so powerful even if it's not their main thing though memnarch or you know galena those c- cards that go in decks even if you're not just doing that i mean memnarch obviously you can just have B. you think galena too i guess yeah <laughs> um, so i don't know homework path is silver bullet against that type of effect
1: yeah and it's never bad you play that card, The I mean, even if the card isn't stolen and you play it, everyone that has those abilities, their cards are kind of dead now. Yeah. Because it's not just one. It's not just choose one, sacrifice this land. It's every single person gets their things, their creatures back.
0: Yeah, you don't have to sacrifice the homeward path. You just tap it and get all your stuff back. Everybody gets their stuff back. And then it's just ready to use again. So, super good. Count me in. Um,
1: I actually didn't have my list. So sad considering probably actually all my decks steal stuff, which is probably why. <laughs> <laughs> You're on the other side. You're like, I don't want people to play that card. Yeah, exactly. I'll <laughs> play a high market before I play a homeward path. <laughs> uh, next up on my list is Academy Ruins. It's the first of my cards that can only go on blue decks or a certain color of a deck. It's a legendary land. You can untap it with Manamo. Tap it to add colorless to your mana pool, or for one in the blue, tap it. Put target artifact cards from your graveyard on top of your library. Now, this may be mad specific for us, but I found that a Gilded Lotus is, it gets gotten rid of very quickly on on our boards by either a Fracturing Gust, Vandal Blast. Vandal Blast. Just even targeted removal will get rid of a Gilded Lotus sometimes. Sometimes someone
0: will also Thadda Adele and just steal it out of your deck. Yeah, true. Um, anyway. Not just that, Thrawn Dynamos, Soul yeah. Rings. Your deck is very unlikely to not have uh, artifacts in it.
1: Yeah, when I first started playing the format, artifacts were kind of indestructible overall. And then the more I played, I realized that they are just as fragile as everything else. So Academy of Ruins is great. It also triggers a lot of crazy combos with different cards and different decks, being able to recur an artifact over and over again, especially with card draw. Uh, but it's also just a great rescue. Um, it's always nice to know that, because sometimes someone will have like a Nevin' Disc out, right? Yeah. And I'll have a Guild of Lose in my hand, and will think, well, I don't want to play this slows even though it could really ramp me and get me a, get me ahead. I but I don't want it. to just
0: play it into, like, it's going to get destroyed right yeah. away. Yeah. So Academy Rinse is an awesome insurance policy, and that's why I love that card. I mean, every deck has a certain amount of artifacts. I think that mm-hmm. artifacts, that, and for that reason, artifacts are the second most likely thing behind creatures to get destroyed. Yeah. Because every deck's going to run some artifact removal. Not every deck will run enchantment removal. It probably should, but or at least not a lot. Not every deck even can. But <laughs> every single commander deck is going to you know, you're going to play against is going to have at least Soul Ring and probably, you know, Thron Dynamo, Gilded Lotus, mm-hmm. maybe Sensei's Divining Top, depending on your play group. There's a lot of ubiquitous artifacts in the format.
1: Yep, very true. Uh,
0: my number seven, I went round and round between Alchemist Refuge and this. Alchemist Refuge is, a, is better for sure, but it's two color and Winding Canyons, which is what I decided to go with as my number seven, uh, goes in any deck, so I chose that. Yeah, this is still a great card. It comes into play untapped. You can tap it and add one colorless to your mana pool. Or you can pay two and tap it, and until end of turn, you may play creature cards whenever you could play instants. So it gives all your creatures flash. Wow. Really, really powerful. We talk a lot about Vidalcan Orrery and how good that is and why, because it allows you to sort of change where you're sitting at the table, basically. Mm -hmm. And this is another of that type of effect. And if you need to do things like play a creature... And make sure that it survives a rotation of the table. Well, it's way better if you just have to play it and then it has to survive that end step. Yeah. And now you get to untap with it, which is what you can do with cards like this.
1: Yeah, Winding Canyons is absurd. Uh Because, like you said, Alchemist Refuge, which does it for green and the blue, but for, is for any card. Right. I mean, in the right deck, Winding Canyons is probably just better doesn't require a huge tax on your mana. The fact that any deck can play it is really powerful. When I first made my list, I actually put this
0: side-by-side by, side by Alchemist Refuge, but I think this is actually better Yeah, in I, general. I didn't want to cheat and put both. I almost did, mm-hmm. but I decided, yeah. Winding Canyons, the downside is, yes, you can't play Sorceries, Artifacts, Enchantments as though they had Flash, but the upside being that it can go in decks that aren't specifically green-blue yeah. is huge. If it was just green or just blue, I probably would have said Alchemist Refuge. But because it's a specific two co- color combination, that cuts it out of a lot of decks. Mm-hmm. And I think this is great in a deck like Rakdos, Lord of yep. Riots, because yep.
1: you can just. That is something you're always looking to do is with is use this card and put out giant fatties.
0: Especially, yeah, and Rakdos is a good example of those color combinations that aren't super good at protecting their own stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're not in white, blue, and a little bit green, then it's hard for you to guarantee that something's going to survive because you don't have counter spells and you don't have, you can't like suddenly make it indestructible, you know, black, I guess can get it back from the graveyard. Red really, what's it got to do? It's got to just play it out there and cross its fingers. It doesn't have a whole bunch of like protect my dude stuff. So winding Canyon sort of works in that manner sort of also. And also those colors want haste. This Mm -hmm. is a way to sort of give virtual haste.
1: I love virtual haste. Just get them.
0: Just get him. <laughs> Just get him. Just
1: get him. Okay, my number 6. It's a bit of a tie. Talking uh Talking about cheating. I know I'm cheating. Uh, <laughs> so I'll talk about the one that I originally has as my number 1 and I'll talk about the the secondary version. Uh it is Vesuva. It's a land and it's uh all it says is you may have Vesuva enter the battlefield tapped as a copy of any land on the battlefield. Flavor text, it is everywhere you've ever been. Wow.
0: It's everywhere.
1: Ever been. pretty flavorful uh the other card that i was going to mention is thespian stage which does the same thing except it adds a colorless without having to copy a land and for two colorless or two generic you can tap it and it becomes a copy of a target land and then gains this ability so it's not immediately comes in as that land you have to pay a little extra mana to tap in you can't use it that turn probably
0: yeah it's weird because vesuva vesuva Vesuva. Vesuva Who knows? is actually closer to clone, and Thespian Stage is actually closer to Vesuva and Doppelganger. Yeah, <laughs> that's a really good point. It should have been the other way around, but that's just the way they decided to do it because Vesuva and Doppelganger can reclone different things every upkeep, mm-hmm. and Thespian Stage basically can reclone when it feels like it. And yeah. Vesuva can only clone once.
1: Yeah. And I feel like this is even cheating because Vesuva says, I can be any of your top 10 lands at any time.
0: Yeah, but it's great. I, I, thought about, I thought about putting it on there. Um, the fact of the matter is I don't run it in a ton of decks because I don't feel the need to have two of a lot of these. Mm-hmm. Like Reliquary Tower, two of them does nothing. Right. Um, you know, obviously Homeward Path, I think two of them is not that great. There's certain ones that are good, though. Two Winding Canyons, you don't really need that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so that's why I left it off. But it was definitely like on my short list, and it was tough to cut it. Mm-hmm.
1: Vesuvah's great if your friend has a Gaea's Cradle and you don't. Yeah, that was <laughs> really true. Vesuvah's great if someone's playing an Enter the Battlefield ability card and you cannot, and you want that ability. You know, Of course, obviously, if it's like you need to pay this color man to activate the land, then you don't want to copy those lands. It's also great in a, fi- in a pinch to fix. Yep. Uh, so I like it's sort of a very overall utility land. I just got a bunch of them because I want to start putting them in more decks and to see if they are as effective as I think they are.
0: They're good. Okay, my number six. Oh, speaking of lands that uh, Vesuva can copy. <laughs> yeah, this is one you would want to. My number six is Cabal Coffers. This is... Well, let me read it. It's a land. Comes into play untapped. You pay two mana and tap it. Add black to your mana pool for each swamp you control. Ooh, boy. So this is just extremely powerful in mono black. It also combos well with Urborg, which makes every land a swamp in addition to its other types. Mm -hmm. It doubles your mana in that case. If you're mono black, it just always doubles your mana. Even if you're in two color, it will basically give you, you know, this will tap for somewhere around, I don't know, 10 to 14 mana. Yeah. And then sometimes it just taps for 50. (laughs) Like that's the crazy times you've seen. We've all seen this happen where somebody has cabal coffers and a whole bunch of other stuff. And they just, you're like, how many mana do you have? And they're like 87 double, 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 double. Yeah. Um, that is the kind of thing that it can allow. So just eh, one of those broken mana producing cards. Yeah. Anytime you can double your mana, essentially it's a, it's a pretty good bet. I'd say you probably want to do that. Yeah.
1: Uh, let's see here. We are on to numero cinco. Uh, my numero cinco is your numero uno. So let's skip it for me.
0: Okay. Well, my number five is your, was reliquary tower, which you already talked about. So we're on to number four. Perfect. Not my number four is your number two. Uh, this is when we're gonna we're gonna share
1: some of the uh, same numbers. We're gonna here. start to overlap. So go ahead. Yeah, it is strip mine, strip mine, strip mine, strip mine. Now, a card like strip mine has been seen across the board in many different versions. Uh, it's just, it's a land that adds colorless, and you can tap it to sacrifice it to destroy target land. Uh, this bears comparison to wasteland. Nice. wasteland
0: is supposedly the fair version right because it's a strip mine, and non-basic. we found out that the fair version of strip mine is actually still broken yeah <laughs> uh you can get any land with it uh it is an
1: incredibly powerful card uh this is another one of those cards that i think you should run in every edh deck
0: you, yeah if you, you can well. it's not super cheap uh, this is one of those cards that i would put in every deck but i only have a, a certain amount i think i have mm-hmm. like five or six and so I just have to choose which decks they go in, but you're just gonna buy all the expeditions of it, right? Right. Yeah, <laughs> clearly. Yeah, because I'm made of money. Yeah. Um yeah, this card's been broken since it was printed. It was, you know, banned, restricted, blah, 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 all kinds of stuff. Still is uh very, very in, in you know, the original formats. Mm-hmm. Very, very, very powerful. It just it's not counterable mm-hmm. um with regular counter spells anyway. And it counts as a land that taps for mana. If it didn't tap for mana, maybe. But the fact that it comes in untapped and can tap for mana, so it just doesn't really cost you anything. And then when you need to get rid of that, you know, they've got a Gaius Cradle, boom, just done, gone. Yeah,
1: I, I enjoy anything that allows you to sort of... I, 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 it's not breaking the game, but it's definitely taking advantage of an old card that they didn't get to f- oversee sort of the power level of yeah. it. As time goes on, the developers have more cards in their backlog to reference to know what they should and shouldn't do. Stripmine came around during a time when that was not really a thing. So that's why it's probably the best sack kill a land card out there.
0: I mean, think they would never in a million years print this card now. They won't even print like destroy target land for three mana anymore Right, as a sorcery. Like they would never make like a land that just comes in and immediately blows away another land. I mean, that's, that's why a wasteland... zero casting cost yeah. destroy
1: target land spell. So I wasteland so good yep. in Legacy. I mean, it's it's just one of those great
0: cards. Yep. Um, okay, my number. What were we on four? Number four. Yeah. My number four is your number two. Well, that's okay because your number four was my number two. Yeah. Hit it. Wait a minute. You have this card higher than I have it. Yeah, it's uh, an I'm atrocity. Sh- I'm so ashamed of myself. Of yourself. Yeah, because it's like maybe this I is should. One of my pet cards. I know. And we... you ranked it higher than I did. It oh. wasn't deliberate. I swear. Oh man. Oh, I know. Josh is going to probably put this in his top five. Yeah. It's not going
1: to be his number one. I'm going to put it at two. You just
0: totally... ah, <laughs> uh, That hurts me. I'm stealing a thunder, Josh. It's Sorry. Glacial Chasm, everybody. I have talked about this card a bunch. I'll what a it. card. It's a great card. So It's a land. Cumulative upkeep of pay two life. Cumulative upkeep means that on your upkeep, you pay this. But each subsequent upkeep, you have to pay it twice. So you pay two life, then you pay four life on your next upkeep. Then it's six, then it's eight. Then it's 10. It goes up by two. So after mm-hmm. a while, it's untenable. You have to either sacrifice it die or to you it, die yeah. to it. Yeah. Um, Glacial Chasm also says, when Glacial Chasm enters the battlefield, sacrifice a land. <laughs> it also says, creatures you control can't attack. So it's it's really bad so far. You have to pay two life that increases, two, two to four to six to eight, blah, blah, blah. You can't attack and you have to sack a land when it comes in. But the upside on the card says prevent all damage that would be dealt to you. Boom. Boom. All damage, not creature damage, not spell damage. Uh
1: just all damage. You just can't take damage. Yeah. You can have loss of life. You were across the glacial chasm. Someone's just sitting there looking at you, being like, What the heck? They're like, how do I get to that guy? He's on the other side of that chasm. But he's like bleeding out really slowly. Or he's getting frostbite, probably.
0: This card is so good in any deck that's not winning by attacking with creatures, and it's also good in many decks that are, Mm -hmm. but if you don't have to attack to win, then Glacial Chasm should 100% be in your deck, and it will win you games. Yeah, you play this, and someone that is like a Mizzix deck would just look at it and go, ew. (laughs) I mean, so many decks, the Rafik decks, the token decks, Mm -hmm. they're going to try to kill you with damage, like if they're going to mill you out then that's the only way they can really go there's probably a couple other ones i'm not thinking of but yeah. they can't even like yeah they like at, they can't earthquake you out they can't attack you out at the very least it gives you a new lease on life that
1: you can eventually get rid of so if it's a four player game someone's going at you with this infect you're at 8 infect you can just be like all right i play glacial chasm you cannot do any damage to me the the infect player unless they can destroy that land has to turn to someone else That gives you a brand new lease on life. That gives you probably, because you haven't been paying life for Infect, like five, six turns with this
0: land out if you want to build up your board and just be okay. Well, and the funny thing is that sounds not that good, but five or six turns is usually the game's over. Like usually you play Glacial Chasm somewhere around turn five or six and the game only goes to turn 12 or 13. Like... It feels like commander games go really, really long mm-hmm. because there's so many players and it does take a lot of time, but they rarely go to like turn 20. Mm-hmm. They very often are over and around turn 14. So a lot of times you can play Glacial Chasm and you're like, I have enough life to, pay, to just live for six more turns at least. And that's going to yeah. be plenty. And also you don't need to worry about people no one's gonna
1: swing at you. They can't. People I mean are, they can, but it doesn't do anything. People are gonna generally swing at everyone else. The fact that it says prevent all damage, that's that's just nuts. That again, this card does not exist anymore for a good reason.
0: Yeah. Card is very good. If you're not playing with it, go pick some up, play with it. You'll 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 not regret it. Yeah, you'll see what happens. Uh see
1: what happens, Larry. You see what happens, Larry. My number three is the one the only the brand new
0: command beacon. It's so Ew. new, I sort of forgot about it.
1: Yeah, I almost did too, actually. Uh, I read it online. I was like, oh, this is a good land. Thank goodness this forum post is recent. Yeah. Uh, it is from the Commander 2015 product. You can tap it to add colorless to your mana pool. You can also tap it in Sacrifice Command Beacon and put your commander into your hand from the command zone.
0: That text has literally never been seen before. <laughs> That's pretty nuts. It just gets you around commander tax. Um, it's
1: oh, good it's really early good. game. It's good, late game. I think it's just overall very powerful. Um, I, I really hope they print this in every commander product from now on because I don't want to pay, I think it's over $10. Yeah, it's it was only 12-ish. in the one
0: deck or was it in two? I think it was in one. So it's just, yeah, that's just crazy. If you're going to create a card that's going to be ubiquitous like this one is, then you've got to make it so that we can get a hold of it. Like, that's yeah, crazy. You've got to do the soul Ring treatment. Yeah, the Command Tower treatment. yeah. Ah,
1: uh, this card's great. Obviously, um, you can do it when your commander costs a little too much,
0: and that's fine. You can do it when your commander costs a billion mana, and it's great. I mean, it's it's super good in all these decks. That one of the ways to like let's say Mizzix mm-hmm. to sort of get a handle on Mizzix. A lot of people are saying just you just have to kill Mizzix as soon as possible, like the first three or four times, and by yeah. the time they have to cast it the fifth time, it's so expensive that it's not actually like really threatening anymore because even if they cast it they have to tap out to do it and then you're not under threat of all those counter spells like you would be so this gets around that it's uh it's so good yeah i enjoy command beacon quite a
1: bit i haven't actually gotten to play that much with it but i just it's one of those cards where you just you just know
0: it's that good it's that good (laughs) we have to skip to number one now (laughs) yeah my number three is high market my number two is strip mine And your number two, as we said, is Glacial Chasm. So we've talked about all the cards, except for, once again, and this often happens when we do these top ten lists, is that we have very similar lists uh, in the top five, except for we still don't have number one being the same, which is always fun. Yeah, I I enjoy that quite a bit. So um, I'll let you go first with your number one. My numero uno
1: hits a pet card of mine. It's obviously one that goes in. I put in in every single deck. It's, It's very good. It's Ancient Tomb. To land, you can tap it to add colorless, colorless, two colorless mana to your mana pool, and ancient tomb deals two damage to you. On turn one, this is essentially a soul ring. Yeah, it's on a land. Uh it's so you play good this with soul ring, you have three colorless mana just to do whatever with on turn one. It's very powerful. Now obviously two damage does add up over time. But, I, again, we start with forty life. Um, the amount of advantage this gives you, I think, is pretty powerful and pretty prevalent uh, through in the early game to the late game. There have just been so many times when I look at my land base and go, man, if I just had one more mana, if I just had this much more, it would make all the difference in the world. So Ancient Tomb is just one of those lands that it's been around since Tempest. It just got reprinted as an Expeditionism from the Vault Realms. It's, it's up there for me. Uh, obviously, for me, it's number one. I just like the idea that you can just ramp
0: to two mana with a single land. It's extremely powerful, especially if you play it on turn one, the amount of advantage it gives you. Because you have twice as many mana as everybody else on the first turn. Yeah. You have one more mana than everybody else on the second, one more mana than them on the third. Like, that's four more mana you've had by the third turn if you get it out on turn one. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's not much else to say about it. And like you said, we have 40 starting life. And after a while, you can stop tapping it because you have enough other lands. Yep that you only need to tap it when you need to, so you can sort of like stem that bleeding if you're worried about it, which probably you're not, because you got to tap it so many times for it to really... Yeah, even tapping it over four turns, you're at 32 life out of 40.
1: That's pretty good. I'll take that. <laughs> I mean, for the amount of advantage it gives you. Yeah, the reason I also love it is it does go in my favorite deck, which is Marchesa, and this does exactly what you want. Yeah, you actually want to lower your life total because of Dethrone. And so. have the ability to lower the at instant speed as well. Pretty sweet. Pretty sweet. All right, Josh, your numero uno. My
0: number one is, and it was your number five. Yeah. um, And sadly, I did not have Ancient Tomb on my entire list. (laughs) It was on your uh, honorable mentions, right? Clearly. Uh, Yes. Um, My number one is Maze of Ith. So Maze of Ith is a land. You tap it, and it says, Untap target attacking creature. Prevent all combat damage that would be dealt to and dealt by that creature this turn
1: cool it's just
0: removal it's yeah. just a land that says oh one creature is just taken out is fogged basically yeah um and you can do it to your own creatures so if you're in say a jaleva deck mm-hmm. um a calia deck where you need to attack to get that effect but you don't want it to then get blocked and die you can do that it stops like you know the one the xenogod decks where there's gonna just play something huge swing at you Yeah, It it is subject to hexproof and shroud and those types of downsides, but in general, a land that stops... And and people know you have it, so you're sitting there with a Maze of Ith untapped, and they can attack you, but they know it's just going to make you tap Maze of Ith, and we've said this many times, which is that people don't like to take an action and then have no result from that action, so they're just going to swing at somebody else, but then what does that do? Well, the next person goes... And you still have the Maze of Ith untapped. They don't want to attack you because it's going to do nothing, so they attack somebody else. And then the next person goes... So it can actually hold off more
1: creatures than you would think. Even if you did tap it and bring one person down, I mean, unless you have four Voltron players around the table, the downside is, sure, other people can attack you if they force your hand, but at the upside, you're not dying. That turn yeah. to Shu or whoever is just going to murder you out of nowhere.
0: And you can also save or stop other people from dying or save their creatures or do all kinds of things. The, that aren't even attacking you. So yeah. that's another upside of Maze of It. It does have political political ramifications. Yeah, it's just it's a really good card. I really like it. I like it as well.
1: All right, so those are our top 10 lands. Of course, we also always have honorable mentions. So let's talk about those bad boys real quickly. Uh, my first one is the Arcane Lighthouse. Now, this is kind of similar in effect to Homeward Path yeah, yeah. in a way. You can tap it to add colorless to your mana pool. You can also tap one and then tap it until end of turn creatures your opponents control lose hexproof, hand shroud, and can't have hexproof or shroud. So this it gets, gets around so many times when you're like, uh, we have to get rid of that thing. Oh god, it's hexproof? We have to get rid of the thing. As Swiftwood Boots it has lightning greaves, it the has an anti Narset card. Yeah, absolutely. Um and for one mana to tap it, that's pretty cheap. It comes in untapped. Um it's it promotes teaming up with someone. If you're like, hey, look, I have Arcane Lighthouse. Can you get rid of that thing? Great, I will make it
0: lose Hexproof. And guess what? They can't gain it back. I love that play because you can be holding Swords to Plowshares and Utter <laughs> End and whatever, but it doesn't feel like you're not doing your part. You're like, listen, I'll use Arcane Lighthouse, and then you you use your Kill spell, and you're actually doing that thing we always talk about, which is like getting somebody else to take care of the problem. But it yeah. feels like you're actually contributing, but you're not making you're not using a card. You know, out of your hand, you're just using an effect that you can do as many times as you feel like. Um, tricky, tricky. Yeah, that plays really good.
1: I enjoy that quite a bit. So, yeah, Arcane Lighthouse is my uh, the first of my three honorable mentions.
0: My first honorable mention is Boseju, who shelters all. It's a legendary land. Man, I had a lot of legendary lands. Um, it They're comes pretty in, legendary. Yeah, it enters the battlefield tapped, but you tap it, pay two life, and add one colorless to your mana pool. If that mana is spent on an instant or sorcery spell, that spell can't be countered by spells or abilities. Wow. So in a non-blue deck, this just guarantees said instant or sorcery will get through. It'll resolve. It's Mm -hmm. not going to get countered. Um, Very, very strong because, you know, Insurrection or tooth and nail or just there's a lot of instances and in sorceries that you just are like man if i can just guarantee this gets through then i have a chance in this game or i'll win this game yeah uh, a board wipe oftentimes is something that you just like I, I need this to happen and you can make sure it does if you have boseju
1: yeah i enjoy the board wipe quite a bit with boseju i enjoy the insurrection with boseju it's just i mean obviously you can pay two life to add one mana
0: regardless yeah, you can. St- I think people forget that you can still cast a creature spell with it. It mm-hmm. just won't be uncounterable if you use it on instant or sorcery. Then it is uncountable. Yeah, I mean
1: the the insurance policy here is great, especially. I think the reason I didn't include this on my list is because it's very meta dependent. If your meta just doesn't counter stuff, then you don't need to play Boseju. Mm-hmm. But if everyone's running counterspell, then this is a much better land in your group. So
0: yeah, I think our play group uh, sort of skews towards. A few counterspells? We have mm-hmm. a, there's a few decks in the in the meta that are like dedicated counterspell decks, but we don't play against them all the time. But I'd say in most games, there are like a few counterspells in a few decks. So yeah. you know those key moments you might get countered. Yeah, definitely.
1: All right, my number two on the list uh, is Teleria West. Uh, this is one of Alex Kessler's favorite cards, actually. I'm pretty sure. Uh, Teleria West enters the battlefield tapped. You can tap it to add blue tier mana pool. And you can also... Do one of the most broken abilities, I believe, in the game of Magic is Transmute. So for one blue-blue, discard this card. Search your library for a card with converted mana cost zero. Reveal it and put it into your hand. Then shuffle your library Transmute only as a sorcery. Hey, can we name some really powerful cards with converted mana cost zero right now?
0: Yeah, all the lands we just talked about. Yeah. Actually, I run this card in Mizzix just to get Reliquary Tower. Oh, really? Yeah, because Reliquary Tower is so important to that deck.
1: Yeah, it's a very important card. Uh, Talaria West also fetches out, I don't know, Mana Crypt. I don't yep. know. Uh, I don't know. Pact of Negation. If Indigation. you own Mana Crypt. Pact of Negation is a card that we all own. Yep.
0: So you can go get it really quick and use it.
1: Yeah. So the fact that you can get like one a trump card. Pact mm-hmm. I, I, of Negation is a total trump card in the EDH. Uh, it's great. You can fetch out lands. Anything with CMC Zero. The fact that you can play just play it as a land if you want to, if you're really desperate, and it has this extra ability on it, makes me happy.
0: Yeah, really, really good card. I actually forgot about this card and didn't even have it on my list anywhere. I'm so ashamed because I do run it. Yeah, I just didn't think of it. It's really good. Yeah, it's good. Uh, My second honorable mention is Bojuka Bog Bog is a land that comes into play tapped. When when Bog enters the battlefield, it's hard to say, exile all cards from target player's graveyard. Don't. And you can also tap it to add... Uh, black to your mana pool so it's a it's a graveyard hoser yeah graveyard hate hard to counter yeah you you yeah it's just so good i've had it hosed me before i've hosed people with it before you know you don't you want graveyard hate but you don't want to put a lot of it in your deck as cards that are going to be dead when you draw them and this is a card that like if you've got black in your deck which you have to to run it mm-hmm. then it's not dead because you can just play it and then it's just a, basically a swamp it comes to play tapped but it does you know work with your deck it doesn't take anything away from it yeah uh, in those games where you don't aren't worried about dredge or because it's graveyard recursion is kind of like air mm-hmm. and air is something you don't think about unless you don't have it and graveyard hates the same way if you need it and you don't have it you need it bad yeah if, <laughs> but if if you don't need it and you don't have it you don't notice it yeah, and plus, again, the cost of playing this
1: land is pretty low if you're playing black. It taps for the mana you want, and when it comes in, it may just do nothing, which is fine, but it may do a whole lot. It may it just
0: also... totally make it so one player can't even win.
1: Yeah, and it could do anything in between that as well. All right, my final uh, honorable mention is Nykthos Shrine to Nyx. It's a legendary land. You can tap to add colorless to your mana pool, or for two generic mana, you can tap it, choose a color... Add to your mana pool an amount of mana of that color equal to your devotion to that color. So your devotion to the color is the number of mana symbols, or pips, of that color in the mana cost of permanence you control. Uh, This card is just great in any two-color deck, even some three-color decks, especially good mono-color decks. For two mana, if you have four pips of color out, three pips of color, two pips of color, it starts gaining you mana. At three pips, it'll get you—actually, no, at four pips, it'll start netting you plus mana. Because uh, with otherwise you'd pay three mana to just add three colorless or three whatever. So um, this card can spiral out of control on the right decks with untap abilities. Yeah. It's even better. Um,
0: it's like Cabal Coffers, where it's like in under the right circumstances with enough pips out, somebody mm-hmm. just manages to tap and untap it, and it, you know, you can do it with Voyaging Sailer. It doesn't even have to, or Fate Stitcher. It doesn't have to be yeah. exotic. And then all of a sudden you're like, wait, how many mana do you have? And you're like, well, I started with twelve and then I did this, and now I have 18, and then I, did it, I untapped it, and now I have 37. You know, it's yeah. just like, what?
1: How'd you get an odd number?
0: Because uh, I also tapped a swamp. Oh, perfect. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so this card's great. I enjoy Nyxthos. It is, to me, the very fair version of Gaia's Cradle. We've said yeah. that name, Gaia's and
0: Gaia's and Gaia's, and Gaia's like six times. Because I, I, I don't episode. know how I'm supposed to say it, so I figure if I say it both ways, then I'm right sometimes.
1: Yeah, exactly. But, we'll actually pretend that we've always said it the one way.
0: Uh, yep. <laughs> i'm like how do you pretend that i don't even know uh, i'm um, pretending it right now <laughs> i would also say now would be a good time to buy nick those shrine to Nyx because it's gonna start creeping back up it did rotate you know fairly recently right it doesn't see a ton of play like in modern or anything so but every time they print a new black card or a new blue card or a new green card it has a chance to just be you know all of a sudden like the car that everybody wants yeah totally and oh, and over time it's just going to increase in value so that would be a uh we're not finance guys but i would that would be my suggestion yeah including this next land depending on where it drops to as well actually for your it's final cheap now uh, now would probably be the time to pick up miracle or or soon so that's my final um and this is kind of a speculative honorable mention mm-hmm. i'm gonna because honestly i haven't used it much and I haven't seen it used much, and it may just be that our playgroup hasn't adopted all the new cards super quickly. Mm-hmm. But it it's just going to be very, very good. Like, down the line, I feel like this will be one of the cards that probably should make the top ten list. Yeah. You know, if we we're doing this again in two or three years, Mirapool might be my number four card. I don't know, but I feel like it's that power level. Uh, Mirapool is a land. Comes in play tapped. You can tap to add diamond to your mana pool. Or you can pay two and a diamond, tap it, sacrifice mirror pool, copy target instant or sorcery spell you control. You may choose new, topics for, new targets for the copy. So it forks one of your spells. Or you pay four and a colorless, four and a diamond, tap and sacrifice the mirror pool. Put a token onto the battlefield that's a copy of target creature you control. So clone one of your own creatures. Jeez. So it taps for colorless. It forks one of your own spells, or it clones one of your own creatures.
1: It just seems really powerful. Every every bit of that ability on every... It's just like, I want all of that to happen.
0: It's on a land. It's on a land. It costs you very, very little. I think as we come to terms with colorless or diamond mana, and really working out the kinks of putting in pain lands and blah, 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 mm-hmm. so that you, know, you don't actually have to pay a real cost to have colorless uh, diamond mana available to you, yeah, totally. Mirapool will get more and more strong. And I think, you know, at least for me, I haven't gone through that process very much yet. And as I do, that'll make that card better and better. Yeah, I agree. Mirapool is a fantastic card. It seems, maybe in the right decks especially, but who knows if it's sort of an all-around all-star. I'm going to look it up on TCG Player because I feel like it's super cheap because it's not really seeing play. It yeah. is
1: very cheap for a Mythic Rare from a uh, second smaller set compared to the big one so let's look here what do you uh, what do you think it is like a buck no no it's probably four bucks five bucks i could see it being as low as 250 depending on the seller of course that's a nice thing uh card prices always go up and down knowing when cards rotate out or cards just aren't being played and you said it's been opened a lot is nice uh oh it looks like it is actually close to three dollars yeah 250 mint from a couple places uh, but with a little bit of shipping
0: just get a few of them just get a few of them 250 it's never going to be this low again yeah it's a mythic rare not as many are going to be open so there's no chance in like three or four years that it's not five to ten dollars yeah there's, there's no chance 100 agree with that there yeah.
1: all right so that is it those are our top 10 lands in edh thank you guys for listening uh now to the listeners of course we want to know um we've done a lot of these top 10s and we've done a lot of top 10s for the basic stuff. So color cards, uh, artifacts, lands. But we haven't really delved deeper. So let us know in the comments on rocketjump.com slash Zone or youtube.com slash Zone podcast or Twitter at CommandCast. What top 10 lists have we missed?
0: Yeah, what top 10 lists do you want us to do next or maybe we haven't thought of or wouldn't think of that you think would be cool for us to do?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, obviously we're here to, for you guys, we want to know what our listeners want to hear. So please let us know. We try and read almost pretty much every comment. We may not respond to everything. And especially not if it's a busy week, like it has been for, for us, but we, I, I do read all the emails that come in. I read in every comment that
0: I can. And I, I, it all goes, filters into my head. Speaking of comments, we had a ton of response to last week when we were talking about self-expression and deck building and having your own unique takes. And then we asked everybody what their sort of most unique deck was and what they were the most proud of. And Mm -hmm. we are going to choose one of those, and Jimmy's going to give them his extra copy of the Zendikar art book in the
1: mail. So I did a random roll-off, and I selected... Uh, this was from the Rocket Jump comments. So on rocketjump.com slash podcast. Ramiro Gomez, congratulations, buddy. He said, uh, my Thassa God of the Sea Kraken's deck has to be my choice. And he said it's not a, a classic blue deck, so no counter spells so much. It's a lot of artifact ramp, of course, like Cage Sun, um, Extraplanar Lens. And it's got a lot of Krakens, Serpents, Sphinxes, and Leviathans. So that's pretty sweet. Uh, and, of course, uh, Treachery. And and Great Whale are also in that deck. That's awesome. Any
0: deck that has Great Whale has to be good.
1: Yeah. And it actually fits the theme of Kraken, yeah. Serpents, Sphinxes, and Leviathans. Water Just creatures. Water in the air. You've got to
0: of... have Whelming Wave in there, right, Romero? Oh, yeah, definitely. That's a, that's a house in that deck. Yeah, exactly. Even
1: Thing of the Ice is pretty good. Yeah. It's it's in the water. They dug it out of the ice. That's true.
0: (laughs) How else did it get surrounded by ice? Yeah, exactly. it wasn't in water. Exactly.
1: (laughs) So, Romero, go ahead and send us an email with your address, commandcast at rocketjump.com. We will get that book out to you. A-S-A-P. And I will say this, actually. If you guys uh, do enter a contest and you don't get back to us for like three months or three weeks even or a month after, uh, just try and, I don't know, get back to us sooner. (laughs) It's tough because – I do all the. I try to do all the shipping as a batch group. It's it saves me time
0: and money. We should start putting deadlines on it within the next like. Cu- Ramiro, get back to us before like, you know, the middle of May. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good deadline. Yeah, if you're after that, you might. We might just give the art book to somebody else. Yeah, we're, I know Ramiro listens to the show like on time most weeks because he's often commenting. So I'm sure that we're going to hear back from him. Excellent.
1: Well, looking forward to hearing from you, Ramiro. Alright, let's move on to the end step where we talk about something cool outside the world of magic.
0: Josh, it looks like you've got something prepped up this week. Speaking of books, Books. I recently saw Book of Mormon.
1: I love that musical.
0: It's so good. And I do not know I'm ashamed a little bit because it took me so long to see it. I mean, I was yeah. a theater major in college. Oh, like true. I love theater. Like I love musicals. And anyway, Book of Mormon, it came through LA. Uh, my girlfriend and I got to go see it. In fact, she she bought us the tickets, and I just thought it was amazing. It really
1: is, and it does it. It tackles a very touchy subject in a way that also embraces it and condemns it entirely. I it's mean, amazing.
0: I mean, those guys, the South Park guys, are such geniuses. It's it's crazy how they dance around all that stuff and they just strike this perfect chord mm-hmm. and. I mean, I don't know what else to say, but it's completely brilliant. Some of the scenes they managed to pull off, some of the duality Mm. between what's happening is just so hard as a storyteller, and they make it seem so effortless.
1: In song format, no less. Not even like a traditional story. It's
0: crazy. The baptism song in there and the way that they pull that song off, and I don't want to spoil anything, so is you're you're just as a person who works in entertainment so jealous of yeah. somebody's ability to pull that stuff off in that manner and make it look so easy and that's so hard to do it's so hard to get the audience in that perfect spot yeah that they're actually realizing like three sides of a conversation as it's happening to get all the little like you know all the little cues that the audience is supposed to get they're getting and it's all complicated stuff anyway I could go on and on. Book of Mormon, um, if you haven't seen it. It's brilliant. It's very crass. Oh, yeah. As, extremely... As as yeah. the South Park guys are, it does serve a purpose. Um, one of my favorite stories about... And I kept thinking about this when I, was see, when I saw the movie, is my parents went and saw it a few years ago. My mom's passed away, but um, it, the whole time that I was watching it, I kept looking over at my girlfriend, and we were just laughing because the thought of my mom sitting into the... <laughs> was hilarious, and I remember after her, after she saw it, uh, we had a conversation about it, and she was shocked by the whole thing. She could not even, she couldn't like it, uh-huh. you know, because it was so, the language and some of the subject matter was so offensive to her. My, yeah. my, my mom was very conservative, which is funny, because she went to Evergreen and Berkeley and was a hippie, but, you know, I guess this happens to us when we get older. Um I suppose so. Can't wait. But, yeah, but that was one of the funniest parts about sitting through it was just thinking of my mom sitting there just being like oh my gosh especially because you talked to her afterwards yeah exactly I laughed at her too and I was like mom come on yeah you were a hippie (laughs) like come on and she's like I'm not a prude and I'm like you kind of are. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. If you have the opportunity, go see Book of Mormon. It's yeah. really, really good.
1: Even if you can't see it, um, it, listening to the soundtrack obviously is nowhere near experiencing the whole thing. But that's how I first experienced the musical. And even then, I was like, this is hilarious. What they're doing is fantastic. I don't even need to see it to understand sort of the, the humor they're getting
0: at. So, yeah, I love that musical when I saw it. It was I, I blown away. Jealous is the right word. Yeah, I'm totally jealous. I totally feel like inadequate. Like Matt uh, Stone and Trey Parker are just, they're geniuses. They just are. Uh, It also made me want to go to New York and uh, go see some stuff on Broadway again because it's been a while since I did that. Yeah, real Broadway. Yeah. Um, Speaking of stuff you should not miss, hey, the Masters of Modern podcast is this podcast that you should not miss. They're our sister podcasts. You can find them on Twitter at the MMcast. They talk about modern as a format and all things competitive magic. Two co-ho- the two hosts are Alex Kessler and Ben Bateman. They really know their stuff, and they have some awesome guests. Go check them out uh, on com under the podcast tab right next to us. Yeah, they also launched a Patreon recently, and they gave away
1: uh, a bunch of their favorite cards. I think it was Grand Architect and Oh, yeah, Geists. they signed them and gave them away. So, yeah. yeah, which is really cool. So if you were on their Patreon, you just got a, a sweet free card for supporting the podcast, which is really nice.
0: So go sign up for their Patreon so you can get free stuff. That's another good thing about them. Yeah, And Modern is obviously... Really exciting right now. So, our
1: editor for the show is the one and only Terry Robertson. Make sure you guys check out the work he's done on the show. Every show is getting better and better and better Uh, Eli who was our old editor Terry's currently crashing at his place uh, was talking to me and said oh yeah I looked at Terry's timeline and how he edits these things now and I was blown away (laughs) at the complexity and the levels that Terry was going to so that's really neat to hear Terry does a great job you can watch the videos on youtube.com slash the command zone podcast and when you're there you'll also see the animations from Jeffrey Palmer at Living Cards MTG he has animated the intro and a bunch of other really cool stuff. So make sure you follow him on Twitter if you haven't already. He posts new animations and it's always sweet to just watch them and be in awe of his abilities.
0: Yeah, the Soul Ring intro on oh, the videos okay. is worth the price of admission, which yep. is which is zero. The price
1: is zero.
0: <laughs> yeah it's zero. Maybe it's an
1: ad you have to sit through, but like you can click after it. After it's five, five seconds, seconds. yeah. <laughs> yeah we're not, we're not. All right, everybody, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Peace.